Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. So, Father, we thank you this morning that we're in the house of God with the people of God listening to the word of God, that we are a peculiar people chosen for salvation from before the foundations of the earth, that you sent your son to die on the cross for a precious and special treasured people that you would save and deliver, that you would redeem and pay the price for with the precious blood of your son. Allow us to see the supernatural realm. Allow us like Paul to go into the third heaven and to be witnesses of those things that unnumerable amount of angels are about your business and about your affairs in this realm called heaven. Father, this is where we're destined to. And in this crossroad rite of passage through earth on this side of eternity... We need a clear vision of heaven being our future, being the place prepared for us that we might champion every trial upon the earth and being transformed and being prepared for that place that you have prepared for us that we might consider now in the next couple of minutes, Lord, the descriptions of those things that are waiting for your people It might be in a blink of an eye. So allow us to prepare our hearts and our home, our families and our children. Everything we do vested towards our eternal dwelling place in heaven, O God. Surely we are not but pilgrims and strangers passing through this life so that we might end up being welcomed in our home by the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We want to hear those words and we want to live in that reality and that everything pales in the light of the prepared place that you have for us called heaven. Give us eyes to understand today. Open our understanding. Give us a vision of our heavenly dwelling place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I, I, was, I was in the last couple of days just contemplating everything that's going on here on earth. And we're, it seems like we're fighting on every battlefront. And we're fighting for um, our family, our children to stay the course. We're fighting with respect to what company of friends we keep. Uh, we are battling the issue of ministry. Um, all sorts of, of battles on every front. People, people would like... To, to, to toe the line in a direction that is not favorable or beneficial. Um, I, was, I was having dinner, uh, I believe it was Friday night with Brandon and, and, and Victoria, and I said this thing of, of, of being in the right course of ministry is like a almost an invisible string that you're grabbing onto and anything will make it break. When you break with genuine fellowship and with a walk in God, it's, it's, it's probably irretrievable. If, if you walk away from God and, and you decide to allow the lamp of God to turn out, 
This, this, is, this happens in the life of some Christians. They say, Pastor, I just don't feel for God anymore. And I look at them and I say, like, wow, man, that must be a curse beyond measure. That the lamp of the Spirit of God in your life just be snuffed out. That, that you not desire anymore to live for God. That's, that's an atrocious place to be because how can you go back? We were, we were reading this, this passage in Hebrews 10, 29. You, you tell me what the Bible says when, when you were entitled to hell and God pulled you out and then you got yourself back into the place where you lost heaven again. You became a worse devil. And, and some people says, is that possible? Yeah. You could go back to being seven times worse than you were before you got here in the first place. And then the Bible says, how much worse punishment these words are not spoken in many churches if God has given you everything and you decide to give it away and not value it it has no more precious standing in your life there was a time where you never missed church where you were on fire for God you were in your first love and I, I want to say what caused that to leave I thank God that for 38 years, I have never lost my first love. That's a miracle. I'm as passionate, probably more passionate, because I've seen more. You know, when, when you meet your wife the first time, you're like, wow, you're in love. But when you live with her for 27 years, now you're really vested in that relationship. To have a falling out, to me, is crazy. But the Bible says, be careful you don't lose return to your first love so how much worse punishment look the first two words how much talks about quantity worse talks about negative so it's not quantity good it's quantity bad and then punishment is like torment this these are like triple how much worse punishment can you suppose so now you're in the imaginary, how much did you think the person that it says will be thought worthy? What, what, what does this person deserve who trampled the Son of God underfoot? Who, who made Jesus Christ not God in his life? He put him under his foot. How much does this person you think is worse. Uh, this is great preaching this morning. Um, but no, the scenario is we're getting into reality. Because if I got here and told you, ah, and, and all is good. No, how much worse punishment do you think the person deserves who is not putting Jesus in his rightful place? Who counted the blood of the covenant which, which he was sanctified as something ordinary no big deal they trampled jesus they thought the blood was nothing and then this thing that cleansed you and insulted the spirit of grace the spirit of grace is what allows you to live in a manner that receives the favor of god even though you don't deserve it how many are, are there i'm there a thousand percent there if I got what I deserved I wouldn't be here this morning 
No, the spirit of grace sustains me. And I've always said, if that spirit lets me go down the toilet, I'm, I'm messed up, I'm washed out. But the grace of God continues to give me right standing before God. Not what I've done, what God has done for me. That's the grace. But if you despise these things, the only thing that's left is horrible punishment. Uh, it has been said, you cannot talk about heaven without talking about hell. And while I want to give you a picture of heaven, you better contrast what it's like in the opposite realm. So now let's move quickly into the splendor of his glory uh, that you might be able to know that there's a place called heaven 276 times the New Testament talks about heaven. Just the New Testament. Um, when we're talking about this physical, geographical area, the dwelling place of God, this is, this is where God lives. And the atmosphere of where God lives is a glorious, incredible, amazing, way beyond your capacity to imagine scenario so the best we have is the descriptions here in the bible about that place and so in that regards we can say that we are those that are just passing through this life this is not our home um for whatever for whatever attempts there are to make this place heaven um uh, without jesus christ in your life this place is a good description of hell. Uh, I, I was just watching one of these young men who becomes a multimillionaire and he builds his wife an $8 million castle in Charlotte, North Carolina. At one time, it was the, it was the most expensive home in Charlotte being sold for $8 million. He built it custom-made to him and his wife, but his marriage only lasted 10 years. So now it's on the market and he lost it. And while he drives a Ferrari and a Lamborghini, Jesus is not a reality in that home. So a place that has a glimpse of heaven becomes hell. Because now his wife looks at him and says, you know something? You don't impress me with all your might and all your capacity and strength. Uh, we see the Kim Kardashian also with her getting on Saturday Night Live and say, look, I married the richest black man in America, the most talented rapper ever lived, the most amazing man, but to me, his personality stinks, and I'm leaving him. So you see that we're living in a climate that it doesn't matter what you attain to in this life. If God is not part of your life, it really grows lack and luster of the attractiveness to make you anything. There's nothing more glorious than this place we're headed to. Now, watch this. This is Paul talking about these things. 2 Corinthians 12.1. I must go on boasting. I must continue to talk about these things that I've experienced. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. He's talking now about things that have gone on in his life in his walk in the things of God. He's already talked about the natural things. Now he's going to get in the visions and revelations he's received from the Lord. Verse 2. 
I know a man in Christ talking about himself 14 years ago. Whether in the body while I was awake or not, I do not know. Whether out of the body, I do not know. I don't know if this was a dream. I don't know if I went there physically. God knows how it happened, but I was caught up to the third heaven. So in his pursuit, in his devotion of the things of God, he finds himself, bam, in the heavenly realm. And he began to witness things that no man had seen. Verse 3, I wasn't, I know such a man, whether in body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. He's still freaking out. Verse 4, how he was caught up to this place and heard inexpressible words, which is unlawful for a man to utter. So in this realm of heaven, the communication is as such, it, it could correlate to how we relate here upon the earth. Um, I don't know if you know, this is reality. Have you ever communicated without words? I've looked at my children sometimes, I'm going I'm to kill you. I haven't said a word, but there could be communication and it doesn't take words. So up in heaven, how are we going to communicate? How are, how are we going to transfer thoughts and sentiments to be able? And so Paul says, I was in this place, couldn't describe. Uh, they talk about telepathy. Can you just talk to somebody out of your mind? Uh, me and Yvette could just talk just by looking at each other. We know what we're saying. We could converse for we look at each other and we're like, and we know, we know what we're saying. And we could go on for that for hours. So in heaven, what is going to be like? How are we going to talk? How are we going to communicate? What's the language of heaven? I, I could, beyond the expressions of a limited earthly realm, it's possible that in heaven, as we exchange with every exchange, it's like having your favorite food that you're delivering. And, and, and there's not going to be any more language that's bitter. There's not going to be any more resentment. There's not going to be the language of, they, they know what I think, uh, and, and I don't have to go and tell them again. They, you know. so, so there's so much ugliness going in our lives. I'm terrified that I get to heaven and that the thoughts here upon the earth are revealed before the presence of God. Because in heaven, there is no twisted thoughts. There is nothing like that. That's not, that's not going to be allowed in heaven. These inexpressible words that I saw, these thoughts that, that I'm, not, I'm not permitted to tell anybody coming back from that place. There in 1 Peter 2.11, as those believers sought this eternal dwelling place, they described themselves as pilgrims and strangers. The, the pilgrims were those that were in a journey to find their home. And if you live like that, if you live as if this was not your home, then you're able to wage war against the lust of the flesh. Because the flesh wants to make its place known upon the earth. 
And we lose our life in this place that we might win it in that place. We're losing our realm of have. Um, I, just, I just can't foresee the hoarding and accumulation of things uh, many times that tie us down to not be free to be ourselves. And that's what a lot of wealthy men have said. It's not that they have things, but the things have them. And the things begin to dictate your time and your energy, and you're enslaved in the earthly pursuit of the cares of this life, where when you are just passing by and passing through, you know that you're not here for a long time. You're vested your treasures and your wealth to the place where the thief cannot steal, where rust will not be able to corrupt and corrode. And so that becomes a healthy mindset for people that understand that we're headed to a place, and in that place, there's accounts to be made. And so this is strong in waging war against the soul if you can keep your thoughts heavenly. And so that's why we see examples in Hebrews 11.9 that Abraham lived as a pilgrim. By faith, he dwelt in these promised lands as a foreigner, dwelling in tents, not no permanent place, but temporary places, with his son Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, verse 10. Why was he able to live temporarily in the passing through? Because he had his weight or his expectation in a city whose foundation and builder and maker is God. He, he understood he wasn't going to build in the natural temporal, but in the spiritual eternal. He was, he was growing and perfecting and becoming wealthy in another place. A man who has no vision for heaven will consume his provision on earthly temporal affairs. Uh, I've had the opportunity to speak to multimillionaires who mount up with huge projects. I'm impressed with their capacity. One hotel, two hotel, three hotel, 10 hotels, 3,000 condominiums, bank accounts galore. Um, writing payroll checks, uh, 500 every month, uh, incredible amount of employees, and look that man square in the eyes and tell him, you don't even have a skateboard in heaven. You don't even own a scooter. You're going to be walking in heaven. He, I, he says, I've built an empire. I said, no, you've been deceived. You thought that it was all about here. And you have made no provisions for heaven. You're going to live in an old shack. The corner. Of this eternal paradise. Because you didn't even send one concrete block up to heaven. You didn't invest in eternity. You, no one even told you 
This is where we see Abraham looking for that city, Hebrews 11, 16. He says, but the truth is that these people were longing. Their desire was for a better place, a heavenly country. Because they live like that, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Imagine that you live like if God does not have a place for you in heaven, and it would be embarrassing that God, yeah, he, he says he's my son. He's, he's one of, you know, the ones that he doesn't know that I'm preparing a place for him. God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Imagine that. These people lived like that because they knew that God was going to prepare a dwelling place for them with prominence and affluence based on their life in the earth's realm. I always like to tell you about Matthew 4, 8, because the devil tries to imitate everything God does. And here in a glimpse of his dastardly deeds, really corrupt and wicked, he tries to take Jesus to a very high mountain. If, 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 if you see the devil doing anything, then contrast the opposite to what God is doing. He tries to imitate God and he takes Jesus to the exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. If the devil is taking Jesus to see the kingdom's glory, how much more should we allow the Spirit of God to take us to see God's glory in heaven, what we're standing to inherit? What is this dwelling place that God is inviting us to and the devil shows him these kingdoms and their glory? Now, I'm like, devil, I imagine that Jesus says, man, don't you understand that I come from a place way above this? You're trying to give me a quarter when I've seen a $100 bill? I'm not going to trade that. And, and so he says that he took him to a very high mountain. And, and be careful where the devil's taking you, people. Where is the devil impressing you about the glories of this world? I've always been reluctant to be, have the devil as a tour guide, that he show me those things that entice my soul to forfeit my calling God. This is just no way. Uh, when I was picking a wife, the devil brought a lot of forfeit and showed me a lot of impressive ladies and, and, and welcomes and stuff like that. I said, no, I'm waiting on the one. I'm the waiting on the one the Lord has for me. It far surpasses anything I could choose because God chooses her for us. Amen, Chris? You like that? That was good. That was a good one, Chris. You can shout amen. I got my guys here. They're not going to settle for less. They want God's best. They don't want a Kim Kardashian. They, they don't want a, a headache for the rest of their lives. They want the joy of the Lord. I was telling Brandon, Brandon, you want to smile on your wife's face perpetually. Who wants a demon? Who wants a monster at home? Not us. So in these glories, the devil is showing Jesus the glories of this world. He... I, I don't know what, what he's trying to impress Jesus, but that doesn't concern me because Jesus was not moved. What concerns me is that you would be moved. 
that you would think that there's something greater to attain than a greater resurrection. Here it is. He says, after he showed them all the kingdoms and the glory of the world, he says, verse 9, if you bow down, I'll give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. What's it mean? If you put me in first place, I'm going to give you the promises of this world. My sons used to ask me as we were growing up, they're like, Dad, man, all these people got money, money, money. I said, because that's what they're after. If you're after money, guess what you get? Money. But I'm after something worth more than money. It's called the glory of God. The blessing of the Lord. And I'll tell you what, I got the blessing. I got the glory of God in my life. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And so our needs are not on the capacity of what can be purchased, but on the capacity of the joy and the pleasure that you enjoy whatever's going on. And that is a mystery. But he says, if you bow down. So when this gentleman told me, I've built an empire, I got huge amounts of, uh, he had a collection of Rolls Royces. And I'm like, big deal. Big deal. Wait till you see my chariot of fire. You're going to flip back. Wait till you see how many horses are pulling my chariot in heaven. Then you're going to see. Because I've set my vision on higher ground. I've made this a reality. The Lord has shown me the throne of God. I can't describe it. It's beyond description. As I was looking, I found myself in front of the throne of God. I'm looking at this thing. It was so gigantic, huge. You couldn't see all of it with one look. You know, sometimes you could see, you could go to the Washington Memorial and you could see Lincoln up there. His hands and feet are like huge. And you could see it all in one grasp. But when I stood before the throne of God, it wasn't one look. I couldn't see it with just one look. It was too huge. As I was like blown away with the description of the gold and everything that's there. And I'm like, ah, ah, I'm freaking out. And then when I saw somebody sitting there and I was like, somebody's sitting on this huge thing. And as I started going up, when I saw, I see the face, it's just like a bam got hit with light and it knocked me dead that was dead it was on the ground i couldn't see the face it was too glorious the, the garments were too white and, and this was 20 years i don't talk about that 20 years ago as a young man the lord gave me a glimpse of the throne of god just way beyond i want you to have a glimpse tonight when you go to sleep I want you to be blown away with the descriptions of his awesomeness so that whenever this world promises you or invites you, you're like, no, no, thank you. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. That you have the descriptions of heaven. Some people have died and gone there and come back and they've been describing the likes of heaven and the things that they saw and the conversations they had. I, I really believe that we, we haven't talked about this a long time. We, you know, when people get together, they find to talk bad about the church, the pastors, the brethren, the theology, the doctrine. They're, no, they don't talk about heaven. Maybe if we occupied ourselves talking about heaven, we wouldn't have time to be corrupting ourselves, criticizing whatever expression of earthly ministry we could attain to. 
That's nothing compared to what's upstairs. And so in all these inhabitants, here the devil tries to get Jesus to bow down. He's not having it. And so there, Revelation 7, 9, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I'll tell you why it's my favorite verse in a second. As John, in the last book of the Bible, describes heaven, he says, after these things, I looked around and behold, say with me, a great multitude. You know why this is one of my favorite verses? Because sometimes people think no one's going to make it to heaven. But John already saw that a great multitude is there. And who are these people? It says, of all nations. That's, that's a glorious... Whenever you preach to a Muslim or to a Buddhist or to any other part of the nations, you can say, hey, brother, there's some people from your nation already before the throne of God. That means you don't have to be left out. These, there's some people that they exclude everybody. No one's going to make it to heaven. No, read this verse. Multitudes of every nation, of all nations, of every tribe, of every peoples. Man, when you have a ministry like ours going into Hikilio, the last part of the world in a little fishing village on the other side, I was like, Lord, why do you send us here? This is where Tarzan screamed his last, oh, this is it. This is where Tarzan's career ended because there's nothing else there. Why would God send us there? Because he wants to bring some people to heaven. We went to India. I said, Lord, why India? He says, because I love those people. I love those people. So in, in places you would not even think to go, God went to Wynwood to find Gary. There he is. Every place, every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. Jurgen, that, that German is like... I'm like, yeah, this guy's not going to heaven. God says, yes, they are. You can't even know how to speak that language. But there they are in heaven before the throne of God, standing before the throne, standing before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands. And now you know why it's my favorite verse. Because there God gives me a glimpse of all those people that have, have accepted the invitation, that have paid the price, that were faithful. And they're there before God's throne and they're like, I made it. And I can see some of you showing your branch to, hey Gil, I made it. We made it. We're before the throne of God. We're the people of God. We speak Spanish and English and Spanglish. And we're there. And so that's why it becomes glorious. And, and to be able to speak these things, I want to tell you today in Miami, there's people going all over the place but not hearing this message. Miami needs to know that there's a better place and that we should be striving to fit that community of those tribes, people, tongues that are standing before the throne of God. 
And in this description of the throne of God, God continues to increase that description in Revelations 21. It's a, it's a glimpse of heaven for your benefit that you should describe to your family members, this is where I'm going to be. And you don't want to not be with me when I get there. You want to be a part of this glorious place. He says, I saw a new heaven and I saw a new earth. Here you go. Paul talks about the third heaven, but then there's a new heaven and a new earth. And, and the realm of the new earth is a part of heaven. For the first heaven has passed away and the first earth had passed away. There's no longer these realms when this is taking place in chapter 21. Also, there was no more ocean. There was no more sea. And so verse 2, and I saw a holy city. This holy city called the New Jerusalem. And it came down out of heaven from a God. And she was prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The descriptions of everything celebration in attractiveness. In verse 3, I heard a voice from the throne saying, see, the tabernacle of God is with men. And finally connected, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. That's one of the, the descriptions of who we are that sets us apart from all other people. We are the people of God, period. Don't, don't try to challenge somebody that you're different. Just say, I'm, I, I belong to God. I'm part of his people. That's why you don't understand me. That's why you don't know me. I'm, I'm part of this, this community of believers that's called the people of God. And God himself will be with him and be their God. These are the descriptions here that John is giving. Verse 4, this realm will be the realm of no more. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. The land of no more. No more death. We are challenged with death every time. Uh, one of the brethren here at the church died this week. Um, we went to the Chorale Trump and to have dinner. I think it was pastor appreciation last year. We invited the pastors to have lunch. And while we were having lunch... One of the waitresses came up and says, wow, you guys are Christians. And we said, yeah, our church is down the street. And we gave her a card. And she brought her husband and her sons to the church. And they were here for about the better part of a year, probably like 10 months. And he went in with COVID 10 days ago. And, and he's in heaven today. He's gone. But he had an opportunity to be with us for half a year. And so we're 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 overburdened with this thing of oh my god he died he was perfectly healthy when he was here he got sick and within a couple of weeks he's dead he's no more but he's in the land of no more death no more sorrow no more tears 
So we still haven't championed that reality because we're like, oh my God, he died. Where he's at, he's telling you guys to hurry up and die. What's taking you guys so long? He has a clear understanding of where he stands from a different vantage point. And people tell me, Pastor, he's dying. Well, guess what? Pastors don't make anybody live. The realm of life or death is God's sovereign realm. He chooses who's alive and he chooses who goes on to eternity. And so I'm always overwhelmed. I had clients back in the day when I was working in the prosecutor's office here with Janet Reno many moons ago here in Dade County. And this one case, this kid had gotten shot 11 times and he didn't die. And I'm like, man, another man got shot like 150 times by the federal marshals as he tried to break a roadblock. He was most wanted drug trafficker. And he decided he would try to break through a roadblock of federal marshals. How many bullets do you get there? At least 500. And he didn't die. So life and death is really a realm that God takes care of. And I've seen people that should have been dead a long time ago, they're still walking around. And some of the fittest people that think, wow, this guy was in shape. He went to the gym every day. Hey, he's gone. He's gone. Because God decides how long you're going to live. And I always tell people, live for God, people. If you live for God, you stay alive. If you decide not to live for God, maybe God takes you out early. I've seen that happen many times. So here it is before the throne of God where he promises, verse 4, he's going to wipe away every tear. There's not going to be no more sorrow, no more death, no more anguish, no more crying, no more pain. The former things have passed away. Every one of these descriptions, I believe, is to get us on course with God's agenda. The greatest gift God gives his people is suffering and pain so they could get in right order with God. He speaks to us in gentle words and he shouts at us when we're going through severe pain. God's trying to get our attention to get back on track with God. Verse 5, and he who sits on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. They are accurate, trustworthy. Verse 6, he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He started mankind and he will wrap up history. There's not everything that we're hearing in the news that is just messing with us. Oh, this is the end of the world. Listen, it's the end of the world when God says it is. And it's not going to be the, the finality of things because Fauci wants us to believe. Uh, Bill Gates wants to, to annihilate the existence, climate control, all the garbage these people speak about. Why don't they start reading the Bible? Why don't they start reporting what the Bible says? There's one who started creation. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's going to give the fountain of waters of life freely to them that thirst. And he said, it is done. Verse 7, 
he who overcomes, I will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. Verse eight, but as for the cowards and all these other, they're gonna end up in another place and another time. And I'm not gonna use today to talk about hell. I want to focus on heaven. And verse 10, he says, verse nine, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb, the church. Come, I'm gonna show you what she looks like now. Verse 10, and he carried me away in the spirit to a vast and lofty mountain and showed me a holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Verse 11, having God's glory filled with his radiant light, the brilliance of it resembled a rare and very precious stone. I don't know if you've seen, last night my dad got my mom a nice stone, nice stone for her birthday. Sapphire and diamonds, and you look at that thing and it glows and it, it's like fire on her finger. What, what is the light that radiates from these precious stones that, that far surpass any polish that we could ever find upon this earth? This is the place of like jasper stone, clear as crystal. You see these diamonds. You see these, these places. I was invited by Jurgen to go to Switzerland. And on my first visit, his father brought me into a big safe, a big, like a, you could walk into, a walk-in safe. And he wanted to impress me with diamonds because he was very appreciative of our ministry and how we had reached out to Jurgen and, and we served him. And his dad came out with like six glad little bags of diamonds. And he came and he went like that and he showed me all the diamonds and it looked like dust. And I'm saying this poor man, when he gets to heaven, he's going to faint when he sees the diamonds God has. When he sees the glorious stones that, that surround the kingdom of God that far surpass. And as he held those bags of dust and he was trying to impress me, I was like, pobrecito. What a poor man who's missing the kingdom of God for junk on the earth for junk on the earth at dinner i was i'm not going to preach this guy the lord says you have to preach to him i was done thank god god is not done god says you're going to preach to him i said sir let me ask you something he says no please don't speak to me all religions are the same and i said oh yeah well all diamonds are the same he goes no there's some fake ones i go there's some fake religions see now we're talking here now we're talking and I said, in fact, since you think all things are normal and the same, and I grabbed the flower pot that had water in it, I took out the flowers, I said, you drink this, I'll drink the soup when it comes, since everything's the same for you. And he goes, no, everything's the same. I go, that's right. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. He's the real thing. There's only one heaven, and you can't miss it. There's not many heavens. There's one prepared for you. John 14, verse 2, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there's many dwelling places. If it were not true, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. Have you talked about this dwelling place with your children? Have you told them that you're paying the highest price upon the earth? Jesus Christ, God gave his best for our salvation. Are you giving your best for your dwelling place? 
This is not a timeshare for a limited period. This is forever and ever. If your heart and mind is into it, if you know what he describes here as these precious stones, the light of which blaze like fire. He says, I want to show you this glorious place. Uh, verse 11, the brilliance of its resemblance is a very precious jewel, shining clear as crystal. Verse 12, it's massive high walls with 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels. And at the gates where the angels are, 12 names of the tribes. On the east, there's three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. On the west, three gates. And the wall of the city has 12 foundations and 12 names of the apostles of the Lamb. Verse 15, the one speaking with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city, the gates, and the walls. These realms of the city. Verse 16, the city is laid as a square. Its length is the same as its width. He measured the city with a rod, 12,000 stadia, 1,400 miles. Imagine the whole length of Florida. That's just one side of the city. And so this city that is described with its length and its width it, are, are just as equal. It's 1,400 miles high. He measured its wall 144 cubits, 200 feet wide. According to a man's measurement, there was angelic presence there. Verse 18, the wall was built of jasper and the city was pure gold transparent clear as a crystal verse 19 the foundations of the stones of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of precious stone we just got back from going to the to, to walt disney world and we were sitting there mesmerized by this little castle and it continued to change colors and they have projected lights on it where, where it's totally transformed and continues. That's just make-believe. Imagine the reality of this city where God is inviting us to. Far surpasses any glimpse of the things we've seen on this side of eternity. And it's here described for us. This city... Verse 19, the stones of the walls of the city were adorned of every kind of precious stones. The first foundation of stone was jasper. The second foundation was sapphire. The third, caladoni. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardinox. The sixth, sardis. The seventh, crystallite. Yellow topaz. As some people have tried in this side of eternity to put this transparent tiles in their bathroom and they put a little light bulb behind it and it shines and it looks incredible. That's peanuts compared to what God has prepared for us. That's not even close. If you're living for that type of expression, you might lose your opportunity for the real thing. As we sat at Corey and Ariel's engagement reception, the, the, no, the wedding reception, and we saw everything so beautiful, so glorious. And I was like, I'm worried that some people are going to miss the, the wedding of the Lamb, the reception of the bride of God, and giving the people an opportunity to receive Jesus. 
Why? Because it's more important than the celebrations we have here on earth. And then miss God and miss heaven. We were at several weddings where we're trying to reach people for the Lord. They said, this is not the time. Well, guess what? In season and out of season. Preach the word wherever you're at as much as you can. Why? Because people only have a certain chance. They're going to miss this place. He continues to describe the foundations of Beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth cariphrase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. 21, verse 21, the twelve gates were twelve pearls. The gates are pearls. Each separate gate was one single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold transparent like glass listen as you see asphalt on your way home imagine it being gold that's what heaven's going to be like imagine asphalt an ordinary thing for us here upon the earth that's gold in heaven and and we're going to inherit this place and this place is not wishful thinking of those that fantasize but the realities of god's promise that we should know deliberately and intentionally so that nothing makes you lose sight and focus that nothing would take greater glory or splendor in your sight pure gold in the streets we used to sing one of my favorite songs jerusalem calles de oro mal de cristal que bonita eres as we sing about this place, as we rejoice about where we're headed, you start letting go of earthly trash. When you, when you don't have treasure, you have to accept trash. The other day we were clearing out somebody's house that needed to clear out, and we had some old furniture. And we were trying to figure out, where do we put this old furniture? I'll tell you where you put it. On any street corner in Miami. And one man's trash is another man's treasure. That thing was gone in two hours. So if you have the treasure of heaven, you're not going to be collecting the trash on earth. You're not going to go there if you have a clear understanding. Verse 22, I saw no building for the Lord, the ruler and the lamb are its temple. There was no temple in that city. And the city, verse 23, has no need of a sun or moon to give light for the glory of God illumines it. The glory of God illuminates the city of God. The Lamb is, is light. That's who you are. If I hear Illuminati one more time, I think I'm going to throw up. There's no such thing. But there is in heaven one that shines bright in his glory and splendor, needing no sun or moon to make forth its light. For the God is its light, the glory of God. And the Lamb is the one that shines bright in that city. Those of you that are going through darkness right now, you don't have to worry about darkness. You have to worry about light. Find Jesus. He's the light of the world. The more Jesus you get, the less darkness you'll find. I got to hurry up. I'm late. By day, verse 24, the nations 
from the earth will walk into it by its light. That city will be the light where people will walk on the new earth and the kings of the earth will bring their glory. They will visit the city and bring their glory. Verse 25, by day, there will be no night. Its gates will never close because there's no one to steal. The doors and the gates of that city will never be shut. I was thinking about this last night as I left my house and I had not locked the door. We used to live in Titusville, and in Titusville is a small city that no one would steal. Everybody knew each other. And we used to leave our cars unlocked and our houses unlocked because no one would come into your house. Try to do that in Miami. You'll have a couple guests. But I was thinking about that yesterday as I was driving around. I said, I forgot to lock the door. And, and what a glorious day it will be when we're in heaven and we don't have to lock doors anymore. Because there will be no thieves there. There's not going to be an expression of those who take what doesn't belong to them. There shall be no night there. The ever-present day. Verse 26. And they will bring the glory and the splendor and the honor of the nations. Verse 27. This is fun. Uh, this is incredible. Nothing will enter that city that defiles it or causes abomination or that is deceptive. Only those written in the Lamb's book of life. You and I. Nothing else is going to be able to enter in that city. You can show that verse to your family and friends. Hey, there's going to be a place where you can't come in. It's right here, verse 27. The city of God, heaven. The dwelling place of God. And as we contemplate these things the reason we do is because we want to end up there we want to be a part of that place prepared for us i want to invite you to stand this morning and we know that the angels of god are preparing the end time events they're preparing the the cup of wrath that are going to befall upon the earth they're they got the seals in the scrolls that are going to be opened and all havoc is going to wreak here upon the earth we my friends will be in the place of no more tears no more pain no more sorrow no more death and father we pray today that you give us a hunger and a thirst for this reality that we move in the direction of heaven that is our future we are headed to a place that shines bright, glorious, with the splendor of your majesty. The place prepared for us, Lord. If it would not be the case, you would not have told us. But now you went to prepare a place for us, Lord. Allow us to be able to live worthy of this place, Lord. That we might replicate and be an example to the inhabitants of the earth that we're headed to an eternal dwelling place, that we're pilgrims and strangers, that nothing here upon the earth will last forever, that your mercy might be extended to those friends and family members who have yet to hear about this place that you have prepared for us, Lord. We pray that if there was any doubt in our mind for the legitimacy of the precious treasures that you have for us, who persevere, who keep the testimony of Christ, who understand the blood of the Lamb and refuse to insult the Spirit of grace, Lord. 
We pray that you make us strong for our God, that we do great exploits for your glory, that we live here upon the earth, your kingdom come, your will be done in our lives here on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. And remove from us all the darkness, the lies, the deception, the abominations, the doubt, the fear, that we might look forward to a better place whose architect and builder is God, so that we might live as pilgrims and strangers, Lord, passing through and being victorious against all that wages against our soul with fleshly lust of temporal pleasures, O oh God. We praise you, we glorify you, and we celebrate your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, and amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord. See you on Wednesday night.